Hello and welcome to episode 677 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is Wednesday, April 24th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I am flying solo today. My first solo cast in a little while. Um, I think the last one might have been the Call Your Shot. I am going to do them regularly during the season. This is just the first one uh, where I had a topic ready to go and uh, and wanted to, wanted to jump into it. So what we're discussing today is arsenal changes so far. That's definitely something that I think you can look at early on and start to at least track it, right? It's something that can definitely, you know, uh, flip quickly, especially with some of the percentages that we're talking about here. Uh, you know, they throw a handful of, uh, of whatever pitch it is in their next outing, and all of a sudden it's only down 2% or it's up 15% instead of 6%. You know, uh, they're still noisy, as everything is, but... We got to talk about something, right? We got to we got to see what's going on out there. We cannot, and I repeat this mantra a lot early on, but we cannot just sit on our hands doing nothing. And I don't want to do that. So what I've done is I've taken all the information of uh, pitchers. What was my innings threshold? Should have remembered this. I made this data yesterday, the twenty third, and I didn't know if I was going to do a piece or a pod with it. And now, as you're hearing, it's a pod. I think it was a they had to have a hundred innings last year, and then so far this year, like fifteen or twenty innings. But if they didn't make the one hundred innings last year, that doesn't matter. That that's what we're looking at here as as the important factor is the one hundred innings. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, from 2018 to kind of give us a base to go off of. And for some reason, this uh, oh no. Oh, goodness. My spreadsheet is being whack, and I can't do anything with it. And that's not going to make for quality podcasting, considering the bulk of that data is on this this spreadsheet. There we go. Freak out. Should edit that out. Not going to do it. Uh, All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're primarily looking at 10% more or 10% fewer uh, of each particular pitch. The one exception is the very first one here, where we're going to be looking at 5% or more of fastballs because nobody's throwing 10% fewer fastballs than they did last year. So let's just dive in with fastballs and talk about some guys that are are making some big changes there. And we see with everyone, or with the, the, not everyone obviously, the, uh, the, the general theory in the game to get away from the fastball, we actually do see some guys... Uh, leaning into theirs a bit more. At the very top, we have David Price and Patrick Corbin. They're plus 8% on their fastball usage. They're definitely the two highest guys right now. And, of course, both have found some success, too. It's not necessarily because of this, but it is interesting. You know, one of the key factors that we've been seeing from so many guys when they make sweeping changes, including Corbin himself just last year, is that they get away from the fastball. To see, so to see a couple guys who are adding a little bit of fastball usage and still finding a boatload of success early on is pretty interesting. Corbin is still riding that, that slider at a 36% clip that is down from 41%. So a lot of the, the change has come out of that slider and, and the curveball as well, which was kind of a show-me curve last year. It was a 9% pitch. It's down to 5% this year. It's also slower, by the way, just as a kind of an interesting note from 72.5 to 68.5. Uh, but his fastball sitting at 91 still for Patrick Corbin has amplified it up to 56%. That is a three-year high. 
So he's finding some success with it. I wonder if maybe something in Washington clicked. You know, I, I always wonder this sort of stuff, and it's easy to speculate on it, but you never know uh, because I have heard other players say that this isn't true, that not every guy's out to share um, and, and just say, hey, I've, I've, seen, I've seen this or I've got this, and it might help you. Believe it or not, you know, not everyone is out there trying to do it. First off, some guys just aren't comfortable with it, plain and simple. They don't feel like they can teach or impart anything on anybody. But others are just like, no, I've got this. This is a doggy dog world. I know we're teammates. I wish you the best, but I'm not giving you my tips and tricks. So I don't know if anything happened where somebody on the Washington staff, um, either on the field or in their coaching staff, said, hey, Patrick, you can get a few more fastballs cooking and it's not going to take away from your effectiveness. Let's see what we got here. And it could just be early noise. Um, you know, so it is something to monitor. I think there's going to be much bigger changes in some of these arsenal uh, developments here as we get into the other pitches. So I'm not just going to say every time, could just be noise, could just be noise, could just be noise, because that's a garbage podcast. I will say it's increasing for Patrick Corbin. Um, First start, it was 56%. Then it went back down to 50% fastball usage. Then 55, 57, 61. And that 61 unsurprisingly, was in Coors. So, you know, he has experience out there uh, more so than a lot of other guys maybe on the Nats because he comes from the NL West with Arizona, and he understands as well as anybody that if you're going to win out there, it's with the fastballs. By the way, a little tangent on that. I had this wrong for years, and I apologize. I thought that the big Coors hangover effect dealt predominantly with breaking balls and how... They wouldn't break much at home, and and so you know you could kind of hammer them a lot of hanging, breaking stuff, and you can just kind of beat it around the yard and drop in hits, and of course go yard. And then when you leave, when you leave Colorado and go on the road, you're starting to see stuff break at a, at a much better clip, and and so that was what fueled the the proverbial Coors hangover effect. That is not true. Uh, there's some of that, but the Coors hangover effect is fastball related. So that is interesting to me. They are the absolute worst in, I think, the last, I can't remember what the data was uh, that I searched. I think it was the last three years plus. So it would be from 16 into the first month of this year. They're dead-ass last in fastballs um, on the road and tops at home, which, by the way, um, I just I found ex- extremely interesting. I'm looking something up right now, so I apologize for the for the kind of uh, disjointed train of thought here, but I really want to find it. Okay, so, you know, let's see here. I noticed that they go from first against fastballs at home to 30th versus them on the road, and so I had it all wrong there. That was a text I I was reading there. So, by the way, doesn't that run contrary to what I said about Corbin using fastballs at, uh, at Coors Field? That's interesting. Maybe he thinks that his slider wouldn't be as effective. Nevertheless, uh, for Corbin specifically, he was successful out there. Um, he had a baseline quality start, actually a little bit better than that because only three of the uh, only two of the three runs were earned. Six strikeouts, one walk in his six innings. So anyway, that's Patrick Corbin. He's up. Uh, David Price is up on his fastball usage as well. You know, he's not been somebody who's been afraid to use his his fastball. It was down last year to forty seven percent. He's actually kind of seesawed with Boston. 49, 59, 47. 55 with the fastball usage where it really has come out of has been the cutter 
so he's going to be in in one of the big cutter drops by a lot. Now I do wonder if there's some classification melding there with Price because it, you know maybe some of the straighter cutters. His cutter is at 89 and his fastball is at 93 on average. So those are distinctly different, but there's probably a blend point in there where maybe maybe there's a little bit of classification too. I don't know for sure. But uh, nevertheless, he's been successful. Uh, I'm, I'm digging it as a longtime David Price backer. His velocity's holding firm. It was at 92.7 last year. It's at 92.5 this year. He's got his strikeouts way up with his swinging strike rate backing it up too, going from 9.6 last year to 13% this year on David Price's swinging strike rate, fueling a 32% strikeout rate. Easily a career high if he can hold it. Let's see. what his, Is he getting chases? His chase rate's up an imperceptible amount from 31 to 32%. Not really anything that we're going to say is uh, is crazy there. But the first pitch strike rate is up, so he's getting ahead and then getting swings and misses, and that is fueling the early strikeouts for David Price. So those are the two big guys up in fastballs. We also have Noah Syndergaard, Trevor Bauer, uh, Jacob deGrom. Uh, Noah Syndergaard's up six, and then Trevor Bauer, Marco Estrada, Jacob deGrom, Jose Ureña, and Cole Hamels are all up 5%. I'm just going to mention them. I'm really not going to dive in on on any of those because five percent. I know fastball is the most used pitch, so it's 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 something, but it's it's not really something that I think is is worth going too crazy on right now because it is at the lower end of of a of a boost there. Now let's go to the other end though and talk about guys who have dropped. 10 plus percentage points off of their fastball usage from last year and see if we find anything interesting there. Um, the tops right now are Joey Lucchese and Chris Stratton at minus 15%. Chris Stratton, sorry, Justin, but who cares? But Joey Lucchese seems to have peeled back on his fastball usage in favor of a cutter. So uh, he would he would definitely p- appear on the cutter list here. But I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna cover that now. He has plus ten percent on the on the cutters for Joey Lucchese, and I think it's a new pitch. I believe it's just a flat out new pitch. Yeah, he's using it ten percent on the button, and it's not something that he used last year. Now it is the exact same speed as his fastball. So whereas I was talking about it with uh, David Price. I think even more so you can have a classification melding with Joey Lucchese's fastball and cutter. A little bit of extra cut there, you know, making it a more of a distinct cutter, but I'm not sure that it's all of a sudden this 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 new pitch. And then of course he has that churve, that that fastball changeup hybrid as well. He's all about those hybrids. So he's got he's got a a a futter, a fastball cutter, and, and his churve. So he's got four pitches packed into two for Joey Lucchese. But you know what? He's been he's been pretty successful. The 4.33 ERA, 1.30 WHIP doesn't scream major success. But I love the underlying skills right now. 25% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate, 12% swinging strike, and that all adds up to a FIP that's at 2.93. He's curbing the homers. Remember last year they were really high, and that was the big issue with Lucchese. He's down at 0.7 homers per nine. And an 11% homer to fly ball rate is is average. So if he stays down in that range and doesn't get into last year's 20% territory, then I think the home run suppression is real. And a big change has been a cut down in hard contact rate 
for Lucchese from 41% to 27%. So I think we're seeing some changes here that you can believe in. And with the ERA whip combo not particularly sexy at 433-130, he's someone to buy. He had a 12-run in two outings stint there. The Giants of all teams ripped him in San Francisco, one of the more maddening outings of the year. I put it on a par with like the Zach Eflin in Miami. It's like when you're using these mid-tier guys in their best in their best starts and they don't take advantage, it's so frustrating because we have so many of like the top guys struggling anywhere which you you know, you don't really expect and of course they're going to have their bad starts like anybody, but you're like I need my top guys to go off so that I can supplement it, supplement their foundation with these mid-tier guys. So when they blow a start like that, it's very frustrating. And then Colorado got him at home for five runs, albeit in seven innings for Lucchese, but then he bounced back recently with five and two-thirds and eight strikeouts against Cincinnati just three days ago. So that's Joey Lucchese dropping a lot of fastball usage down 15%. Another guy, with all due respect, that we're not really going to dive into is minus 13% for Nova, Ivan Nova of the White Sox. And I'll also kind of clear out another uh, piece is that his slider is up the most at 20% because it's a new pitch. He did not have a slider last year. This year he's got an 86-mile-per-hour slider that he's using at a 20% clip. Let me see. Is is it bearing any fruit? I think he got walloped by by Baltimore the other night. So I'm going to go with no, but let's see. 8.42. 8.42. No, shouldn't have even spent this much time on Ivan Nova. Sorry about it. Done. Um, two other guys at minus 13% on their fastball usage along with Nova are Chris Sale and Trevor Richards. Now, with Richards, it's very similar to the Lucchese thing in that he seems to have uh, created a cutter here. I don't. I think it is a new pitch. Did he have one last year? No, he did not. So his 11% cutter is new for Trevor Richards, but... Where it differs from Lucchese is that it's a distinct velo level. It's a 91 mile per hour fastball, 86 mile per hour cutter, 70, excuse me, 80 mile per hour curve, and then his 83 mile per hour changeup. So now he's got he's got four bands uh, of velocity, which isn't bad when you only when you top out at 91 to still really have several different bands of velocity is pretty good. It's probably closer to three bands. You can kind of say that the changeup and cutter. They're close, you know, three to four miles per hour. It's 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 in that it's in that gray area of is it really all that different? But you go from let's just call it uh, low nineties, mid mid to low eighties to low eighties to high seventies, low eighties. That's three bands at least for for Trevor Richards. So that's kind of intriguing. Of course, his strikeouts have continued to really be successful. And made him one of the uh, the more intriguing middle tier guys so far this year with a 372 ERA, 124 WHIP, and 20. Oh, that's actually down to 23%. I thought his strikeouts were higher. It's his swinging strike rate at 14% that has folks believing that the strikeouts will still be there. A uh, he does have seven strikeouts in three of his five outings, and then just seven total in the other two. And so he does have a strikeout per inning, or what? He's one shy. But it's only a 23% rate because he's walked so many guys. And this is where you can really get into the difference between strikeout rate and and K per nine. Because 8.7 K per nine, you know, he's a, he's a stone's throw away from that, that one per inning. One per inning usually nets a 25% strikeout rate with, with everything else kind of being average there. 
but because he's walking so many guys, he's facing more batters, so it's keeping the per nine up, but the rate isn't as effective. So we'll see if if uh, Trevor Richards can cut into these walks and leverage that swinging strike rate of 14% even more and amplify the strikeout rate to something really special. But right now we'll take a K per inning and some useful starts. Chris Sale, of course, you know, he's kind of been covered to death, but uh, he is getting away from the fastball a bit. He's also down two miles per hour on, on his velo. So there's a lot going wrong with his fastball. Obviously, that's been a big part of the problem with everything that he's doing. And a lot of that 13% has gone right into the slider, which is up 8%. And even and then the, the rest goes to the changeup up 5% because those are the three pitches that Sale has. You take a, a, a shred of encouragement from yesterday's game against the Tigers. Yeah, yes, yesterday being Tuesday, in case you're not listening to this, right when it came out, Tuesday the 23rd. In that he got nine punch out or ten punch outs in five innings, but the Tigers worked him up to 97 pitches in five innings. I'm sorry. Like as a one-off, okay. You know, if if Chris Sale had Four brilliant starts, and then the Tigers just kind of got him a little bit. You you you, you slough it off, and you say, "Man, no big deal." He still got his ten strikeouts and only allowed two runs. But when this is kind of his best start, that's gross. The Tigers' offense sucks. Like they they've found some success because of pitching. Their starting pitching has been has been one of the more interesting uh, rotations to start the season. And, and they've got some staying power, I think, with at least a couple of the guys, namely Matt Boyd um, and Spencer Turnbull. But their offense has not been doing anything uh, of note. And, in fact, right now among their starters, they only have two guys, two guys that are above an 88 WRC+. Plus, and one of them is on the IL right now in Kristen Stewart. So you're looking at Nico Goodrum. No Castellanos, no Cabrera. They're not, they're not doing anything. You know, uh, I, I definitely did not hate the Josh Harrison move at two mil uh, to bring him in as, and bounce around the infield and, and maybe even play a little outfield and be all right. Probably be like a league average hitter. He's got a 24, 24 WRC plus. Actually, that's OPS plus. Sorry, I was looking at his BRF page. I imagine it's similar on WRC plus 23 on WRC plus 188. Bad, but I mean, he's going to come up. He hasn't. He probably deserves a better fate than he has for Josh Harrison. But the bottom line is it's a bad lineup, and Grayson Griner took sale yard. So you can take like a a, a mill a shred. I'm making up a new word. You can take a mill a shred of you know encouragement out of that start because I think the velo was up a bit, and you did get your ten strikeouts. But you got to work over the Tigers, man. You got to just pummel them. Actually, excuse me. I thought the Velo, compared to the last outing against the Yankees when he sat 95-5, he was back down to 92-7. Now it does stand as his second best Velo start of the year for Chris Sale, but man, that's a yikes for me. Um, That said, I'm holding. I'm just holding firm. There's not a whole lot that you can do with Chris Sale right now. It's tough. I understand that. But what are you going to do? I mean, uh, if you were hurt, you got to believe that he'd be on the IL uh, short of, you know, just lying and, and, and playing through something. When you hear him talk, it seems like Sale is trying to work through it and, and knows obviously that there's issues, but doesn't exactly know how to fix them yet. And so I think you just have to ride it out and try to let him fix it on the fly and, and keep him in your, in your roster. 
in your rotation. Last thing I would do, I, I just I'm, I do not subscribe to the sit a guy like this like Chris Sale until a good start because I, I'm I'm grinding out this garbage 7.43 ERA. I am not pissing away seven strong innings on my bench. You you you're kidding me on that. I think that's a losing strategy, and that uh, you would never never find me doing that. There's zero chance. I'm sorry. Uh, all right, so some other guys that are getting away from their fastballs as well at, at more than a 10% a 10% clip or more, I should say. Marcus Stroman, Charlie Morton, um, Andrew Kashner, Matt Harvey, who cares? Uh, that's 11% for Stroman and Morton. Jameson Tyon, minus 10%. Blake Snell, minus 10%. Zach Eflin and Homer Bailey at minus 10% as well. Homer Bailey came back to earth last last night in a big way. Um and for some reason, I weirdly got like you were wrong tweets about that because I tweeted that he had been good for for a few starts. Like I did not in any way, shape, or form suggest that you go out and just aggressively pick up Homer Bailey. I was just pointing out that he was finding some success. He'd had three really good starts, and even in the bad start that he had, where, where seven of his eleven runs were given up. He had seven strikeouts against the Mariners, so I was just pointing out that the splitter was off the chain, and you know things things were going well through four starts. It was not a Homer Bailey's in all formats kind of guy. I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Keep a note on it. Um, so, I mean, guys, I, I take I take my hits where I deserve them, and if I recommend somebody and it goes down in flames, I gladly or you know. Uh, I don't want to say gladly. I'm not happy when I'm wrong, but I'll I'll, I'll own it and say, hey, got that one wrong. That was not, there, there was nothing that said, go get Homer Bailey. Here we go. Everything's about to pop off again. And we're going to get peak reds, Homer Bailey. So yeah, he struggled. He, uh, he didn't get out of the, or he did get out of the first inning only against the, uh, against the Rays yesterday. Four runs on four walks and three hits. Just didn't have anything. Uh, let's see what his pitch mix looks like. Looks like the slider was was failing. He was trying to trying to work that slider, and it clearly wasn't working. He threw a twenty four percent clip. That's more than uh, his last two starts combined. If you just added up the percentages of those two, uh, which you know doesn't really mean anything, but the bro- the bottom line is twenty four percent was a, a season high. He got away from the split finger a bit. Maybe he didn't have the feel for it early, so he was trying to go to the slider for Homer Bailey, and it just didn't work. I'm sure everyone's going to cut bait now. I'm still going to keep an eye on it, though. Again, it's not an aggressive go out and get him, but particularly in deeper leagues where pitching is so sparse, I'm going to at least keep an eye on it, okay? Because if I can if I can squeeze a few decent starts out of it, okay. But I don't know. Uh, he is leaning into that split finger more last night, being the exception for Homer Bailey. And uh, split fingers, they can be tough, though. When you don't have the feel, if you don't have anything else to go to, it can be trouble. But the guys that were more interesting in that group there were Stroman, Morton, Tyone, and Snell. Snell's putting his into his curveball. Uh, Eflin as well. Eflin's putting his into his slider. Tyon also putting his into his slider. Morton spreading it around a bit with some cutter and curveball improvements. And then Stroman. Now Stroman's someone I want to I want to zero in on a bit here. Uh, he, his name would pop up, and I'll mention it in passing just to kind of refresh y'all's memory as we get on to some of the other pitches. But this is going to be the the Stroman section here. Um, he's amplified his strikeout rate. 
Now, 23% is not gaudy by any stretch of the imagination, particularly in today's game. But for Marcus Stroman, it's a big boost. It's a substantial move up. And his 11% swinging strike rate is a career high. So there, there are some noteworthy things here. And it is getting away from his fastball, which for him is generally a two-seamer slash sinker, which can be interchangeable at times, but can also be distinct. Um, just kind of depends on the guy. I think I think he does kind of have both. Uh, in fact, he might even have all three, if you really say uh, four-seamer, two-seamer, sinker for Marcus Stroman. I think you could, you know, if you really got down into, into classifications there. But uh, really rides a two-seamer for the most part. That's that's what you're looking at. That's what keeps the ball down and, and really uh, fosters that heavy ground ball rate that you've seen from Marcus Stroman that has fostered a 60% career rate, including 62% each of the last two seasons. Down to 56 this year, though. And that is part of getting away from his fastball usage. Like Again, down 11%. You know what else is down big? The slider usage. So he was a, a, a sinker slider, a two-seam slider, however you want to call it, guy for, for most of his career here uh, with mixing in some other other things too. But when he was really going, he's two-seamer slide, slidering you. This year, slider's all but gone, 3% by. It could be another classification thing because his stri- his curveball uh, is, is only like two miles per hour different in velo but the shape's probably different enough to get it to be put into the curveball bucket well that's where things are really changing because the 39 percent fastball usage has uh given way to a 34 percent curveball usage far higher than we've ever seen the highest we've ever seen a curveball usage out of stroman was 16 percent back in his rookie year of 2014 it was at 14 percent last year so he's all the way up to 34 percent this year for Stroman, and that's no doubt fostering this this strikeout surge. And we're seeing big results too. 176 ERA, 124 whip. Now that's an ERA whip combo that simply doesn't add up. And to me, it means that the ERA is going to go closer to match the the whip as opposed to the other way around because he has walking guys at a 10% clip. His 7.6 hits per nine is is solid. There, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Uh, for Marcus Stroman, but it's not something where I'm like, you know, oh, that's 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 crazy one way or the other. So I think with the amount of batters that he's giving up, some of them are going to start to uh, find the plate a bit more. 76% left on base rate. We'll see. He has tracked at uh, higher rates, you know, high rates before. 78% for all of 2017 for Marcus Stroman with 201 innings. But that is a, a clear outlier right now in his career. In fact, he's struggled with it in, in other seasons. 61% left on base rate for Stroman in 2018. 69% in 14 and 16, which you would think is nice, but actually isn't. The one instance where the 69% mark isn't nice. I mean, it's still nice, but it's not nice if you catch my drift. So, um, yeah, Stroman's a little bit intriguing here. And, you know, I got a little bit of pushback with my ranking on him. Uh, I recently updated my starting pitcher rankings and got got some pushback. You know, hey, well, what's up with Stro? You know, where, where, where you got him ranked uh, is, is too low. Did they rhyme it like that? I don't think so. I didn't even mean to do that. I had him 87th. He was in the, the shallow spot start category, which ranges as high as 57, though. So, Again, I, I always tell people, you know, don't get too hung up on the number. If you like him better and you, you want him more in that 60s range, that's acceptable. Like, I, I get that. I had him ranked lower because 
I hadn't really investigated them, to be honest. When I when I rank, you know, 120 guys, I didn't get to do a deep dive on all 120. I freely admit that. And so sometimes it's a cursory look. Um, you know, I, I have a, a concept of how everyone's doing in, in some way, shape, or form. I rarely rank somebody that I just don't know what's going on with them at all in a given year. But I hadn't deep dove on uh, on Stroman to see these Arsenal changes, so I'm kind of keeping an eye on them. If he if he can add some strikeouts, let's say he gets to like a 370-124 ERA whip combo with a 23% or better strikeout rate. I'm in on that, and that would facilitate a move up the rankings without a doubt. So this was interesting. He was one of the more uh, intriguing guys, uh, Marcus Stroman was, in terms of Arsenal changes. Again, peeling out of the fastball and slider, both at uh, double-digit rates, 11% on the fastball and 13% on the slider, and funneling it all, almost almost all, a little bit into the uh, change and cutter, but nothing really uh, worth discussing. But a 21% jump in his fat in his curveball usage for Marcus Stroman so that was interesting there um let's see I think that covers everyone in the fastballs there as far as going up and down now let's move over to the sliders and we're looking at guys with 10 percent or more 10 percentage points or more and I already talked about Ivan Nova he has a new slider it clearly hasn't helped he has an 847 ERA so maybe just Put that back on the shelf and never look at it ever again in your life. But um, we do have a handful of other guys who have all added. I'm look. I'm just checking to see are, are any of these new sliders. No, these are all additions. So we've got a group of guys adding 10 percentage points or more. And by the way, I'm going to post the list as kind of the show notes. And um, it goes, maybe I should change it, but. I'm probably not going to. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. So on the 10% or more, it goes from highest to lowest. But on the 10% or or less, actually, you know what? You know what I will do? I'll, I'll just redo it. And I'll include the, the percentage changes because otherwise it's not really useful to list it. So never, never mind what I was going to say there. Anyway, you've got Tanner Roark. Jamison Tyone, both at uh, plus 16%. Zach Eflin, Carlos Rodon both at plus 13%. Joe Musgrove, Chris Stratton at plus 12%. I mentioned that Stratton was one of the uh, fastball droppers. He's putting it mostly into his slider. I don't think it's delivering any sort of results. He's kind of Nova-esque this year, so nothing really to care about there. Herman Marquez, Brad Keller, Derek Holland, and Robbie Ray are all plus 10%. So let's focus in on a few of these guys now, I mentioned Jamison Tyone uh, as the fastball guy, and I kind of glossed over him dropping his fastball usage, enhancing that slider. There was some surprise that I kept him ranked so high based on his start, but I don't really see any reason to back off right now. The strikeouts haven't been there yet. In fact, his 18% clip is is lower than a, a, ever before. It's the lowest of his career, but his 11% swinging strike rate is a career high, and he is putting more into that slider. So for me... I see strikeouts coming, I, I would think. So they really haven't been there yet. Four, five, four, four, three. That's that's pretty bland. But the results have been great nonetheless. He has a 312 ERA and a 112 whip for Jamison Tyone. He's not walking anybody. He's not really allowing many hits or homers. Everything's there. In fact, he only has a 55% left on base rate. Imagine if he was stranding runners at, at his 75% career clip. 
then all of a sudden we're talking about um, an even lower ERA perhaps. And so I think there's still some upside here, and I'm not I'm not getting away from Jamison Tyon at all. And he did jump. He is jumping deeper into that slider now at 34% usage. So as he kind of continues to really refine that and turn it into a a hopefully premium pitch, I think we'll see the strikeouts start to come forward. So I'm still in on Jamison Tyon easily. Like it's not even really a question for me. Carlos Rodon didn't quite make the uh, fastball droppers list because he was only minus nine percentage points, but. We do see his slider usage tricking up, uh, tricking up. What the hell? What was that? Trickling up? I guess I was going to say, but it's not really trickling. It's kind of surging up. Uh, so I don't know where I came up with tricking, but it's plus 13 percentage points to a career high 39 percent. And this is something I've been wanting to see out of Carlos Rodon. He's somebody I've always liked, and I've repeated this a few times on the show. You know, um, last year I was, I was. In on him from afar. I like the idea of him. I want to see Carlos Rodon be successful, but I wasn't really investing because of the volatile nature of it, because you weren't really getting a whole lot. The strikeouts were down because I saw a guy who was just who's still kind of figuring it out. And so I kind of wanted him to figure it out on, on other clubs and then jump in. Well, maybe I should have jumped in at draft season this year. He might he might be actually figuring it out. He's off to a really fast start. With a 289 ERA and a 111 whip, 29% strikeout rate, no doubt tied to that enhanced slider usage, which is uh, has been great for him already delivering a, a 7.0 pitch value, which doesn't necessarily mean it's going to hold that way. It just tells you the results with the slider thus far have been strong for Carlos Rodon. We've seen him you know, work different bits of his game recently as he kind of figures out what to do against righties, you know, work some up and in fastballs and get pop-ups and really keep them off balance. Maybe don't get as many strikeouts as we saw. The strikeouts were taken away last year down to a career low 18%. But then this year, we're seeing that he is still getting righties out at a very strong clip, but also getting strikeouts against them. It's up to 29% against them as well. In fact, he hasn't even faced that many lefties. So the bulk of this surge, he only has 16 plate appearances against lefties for Carlos Rodon. So this is this is defeating righties. This is what's sustaining his success, which makes it more encouraging uh, than anything else, to be quite honest. Because if it was just, you know, he'd happened to run into a bunch of teams that had no no choice but to use a boatload of lefties, it would it would it would take it would take a little bit of steam out of the five stars for Rodon. And and yet here we are. Where he's putting up a 196, 282, 272 against righties with the 30 strikeouts and 103 plate appearances. I'm really liking what I'm seeing here. He still walks guys, but part of that is by design. It's it's you know, it's more of an extreme example, but it's what we talk about. What we want Shane Bieber to do, which is not be afraid to just walk a guy and and continue to throw competitive pitches on the corners and not just lay something fat in the middle of the zone that can get tattooed when you're in a bad count for yourself re-rack and and try to get the next guy out and he's absolutely been doing that Carlos Rodon has and in addition to that you know I can definitely take these walks when he's not allowing homers that was part of the problem too was he would allow the walks but then maybe the re-rack wouldn't work the next guy would hit a two-run homer maybe even a three-run homer and so with homers up at a uh, 1.1 clip or higher each of the last three seasons for Carlos Rodon it was it was tough, and that's what kind of kept him in the low fours. Which, by the way, speaks to the fact that, in a weird way, 
the fact that he was at 404, 415, and 418 ERAs was kind of impressive to me for Carlos Rodon because he had metrics of somebody who could have been much worse. Like things had a chance to go sideways when you're allowing that many homers and that many walks. But it just shows that he did get out of some jams and that he could be difficult to hit at times and, and that his stuff was still peeking through at, at a premium level here and there, just not at a sustained level. We may be getting that sustained level this year out of Carlos Rodon. I'm very intrigued early on, and he's definitely somebody who took a nice little jump in my rankings. In fact, I had him um, up to the usually start category. So he only moved up nine spots from Marge, which, by the way, a lot of folks said, and I almost did. I don't know why I didn't just go through with it. I was going to post a difference from March thing in the chart so you could have seen where they where they moved, and I didn't do it. And now I've made changes since that ranking. So here's the thing. Do I go update that post with with the updated or with the uh, the since March changes, and then um, you end up, you know, seeing some different rankings, and I have to explain that all again, or do I just hold off maybe another week and do a completely new post? I'm feeling like the latter is the right move there, and I will have it. Oh, I should. Dang it! I need to make sure that I have it since April now too. Um, so you guys can see how they've changed since this most recent ranking update. Part of the reason, though, that I would like to keep it separate from March, and the reason I ended up not doing that with the uh, with the chart was the preseason rankings are a little bit different than once you get into season. I was kind of looking at the grand scale of things and 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 ranking that way, and and you you have some guys that you don't know if they're going to get in the rotation, so they're ranked like 140. But once they're in a rotation, they shoot all the way up to 70 just on the fact that they got the spot, you know. And so, I don't know that showing that difference is is as useful as some might think it is. However, going forward now from April to May, from May to June, et cetera, et cetera. I do think that a, a column with, with difference from the last ranking would be useful. So I think that's what I'm going to do. Let me know either on Twitter or in the comments of this podcast post how you feel about that, if you agree with it, if you think it's ridiculous or, or, or what have you. But I think that's what we're going to do. But anyway, the point there was that Rodon did move a, a, a tier. Oh, by the way, uh, one other thing I wanted to point out because I, I, I was talking about it with regards to the March rankings. The in-season rankings aren't necessarily rest of season because I'm going to do another ranking. And I think trying to think that long-term is pointless. What, what, what is the point of that? So much is going to change. So we're talking about kind of the here and now. These are four to six week rankings because we're going to get more data. Guys are going to get hurt. Guys are going to have role changes. Guys are going to have arsenal changes, velocity changes. So what really is the point of being so rest of season focused? Obviously, at the top end, you know, you're still really focusing on the long term because you're not going to make stark changes on, you know, like a like a Chris Sale. Uh, you're going to trust that track record and, and, and the elite guys. But once you get into like, I don't know, 25, 30, it starts early this year, y'all. What what is it? Uh, why do we really want to be so rest of season focused? Domingo Herman is somebody I love, and the only thing that really was standing between him and 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 me drafting him in every single league was uh, a rotation spot. Well, then of course every Yankee ever's gotten hurt, um, 
and and now he has some uh, a spot and some leeway on a spot too, like some some runway to really get going and, and establish himself. So he shot all the way up to 44. But of course, if I, if I say okay, well, rest of the season he's 44, and you treat him as that now here on April 24th, everyone comes back, Herman falls on hard times, and all of a sudden he's out of the rotation, like. I just don't know if I see the value. So I I look at these really as like four to six week rankings as opposed to getting so rest of season focused. If you disagree with that notion, I'm open to a debate on it to really kind of talk through it. But I think we should be a little bit more uh, focused on on chunks of time. Again, not, you know, next seven day rankings. We're not going to go that volatile with everything. But schedule matters too, you know. So if a guy's got a, a a friendly schedule coming up, or a team does, I guess, because you can never really know for sure how a guy's going to have it. But if a team has a you know a, a bunch of games in the AL Central coming up, and and their guys are likely going to get a bunch of starts there, well, they might move up the rankings because of that for that time period. But that doesn't mean that the rest of the season they're there. And so yeah. Anyway, I just want to get that point in that these aren't necessarily something that you should really be looking at as you know, the, I'm committed to these through September because in that case, I wouldn't update them. Like what would be the point of updating them? It, it, so four to six weeks. Anyway, pardon the tangent there. Bottom line is Carlos Rodon doing well, backing it with some real changes and giving me something to believe in that I think he'll move up even again within the usually start tier at the next update. All right. So moving on then, uh, sticking here with the sliders. Let's talk a little bit about Joe Musgrove. He's up 12% on his slider usage, and it's really come pretty much from cutters and fastballs. Now, I think they're, again, this has become a, a popular refrain here, but it's, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to note it when, it when it could be there. But I think that uh, there was some melding of cutters and sliders in his classifications uh, over the years as well. Now, very distinct velocities. 84 for the slider, 89 last year for the cutter. Uh, it's at 82 and 87 this year. So, you know, putting them together, uh, they're, they're not just in, a, in one bucket. Like, they, it's not that close. But again, there can be some overlap, you know, on the fastest sliders and the slowest cutters. That said, I do think we're seeing a, a true change here for Joe Musgrove. Because he's at 28% on the slider usage this year and just 6% on the cutter. And like I said, the cutter's down two, two miles per hour on velo. And so I, I think we are really seeing a, a change here to highlight what he wants to do with that slide piece and it's it's bearing some very nice fruit you know his swing strike rate uh sat at 11 12 percent the last two years for joe musgrove suggesting that there could be some strikeout upside well he's amplified another jump to 13 percent uh this year and he's got a career best 24 percent strikeout rate he's still not walking guys and this year so far he's not allowing hits at much uh, at a very high clip, 5.7 hits, and he was a bit hittable throughout his career thus far, allowing about a hit per inning for Joe Musgrove. Now he does have a 233 BABIP that you know we should feel is definitely going to go up a bit. Although I do really like the addition of Cole Tucker to the uh, to the defense. There, Eric Gonzalez is pretty much known for his glove too, so it, it's not necessarily an addition in terms of 
uh, pure pure defense added from Gonzalez to Tucker, but I like that Tucker's glove is premium, so it's either as good or better than Gonzalez's, and Tucker can add a little bit of offense to help support uh, not just Musgrove, but the other pitchers on that ball club as well. So yeah, he's not going to continue to allow a 233 BABIP. I definitely think we'll we'll see that trickle back up but hopefully it, it can he can have a new career high or career best i should say because he's been at 289 315 294 the last three years for joe musgrove if he can put up like a 270 something like that then he really is going to keep the hits down the homers are way down too. a four percent homer to fly ball rate is definitely helping that um, and i would expect that to move back toward toward his average you know last year was at 10 percent homer to fly ball and 0.9 homers per nine that's fine. That's workable. And if he's not allowing hits or walks, then he's going to be fine anyway. Those aren't going to be damaging home runs more often than not for Joe Musgrove. So I like what he's doing a lot. I'm really big on him. He was somebody that I was trying to scoop in as many spots as I could. And I've got him all the way up at like 30-something, I think. Pardon me, 29 how dare, how dare I besmirch the great Joe Musgrove. But yeah, I buy what he's doing. This is somebody I, I really thought could be a breakout, and I really dig what's going on with him. All right, as far as these other slider movers, eh, I, th I think I think we've, well, okay. Actually, a couple others I do want to touch on here. Herman Marquez is uh, up 10% on his, 10 percentage points on his. And it's really come out of, let's see, the changeup. And the fastball, about 5% in each. Does he, what, what, what kind of changeup does he really have? By the way, Herman Marquez is throwing right now. He's allowed three runs in three and two thirds um, against the Nats in Colorado. We'll see how the rest of that start pans out. But, you know, he's pretty much been as expected. Yeah, okay, that's, that's what I thought. Doesn't really throw much of a changeup. It was, it was, it was like a show me pitch anyway last year at six percent now it's down to two and a half percent but he's just funneled the rest of those back into the slider and also taken a little bit of a little chunk out of his fastball and popped more sliders he's obviously been amazing on the road and sputtered a bit at home gee could have never seen that that's that's wild you, you don't usually see that um, only one of the runs has been earned so far in in those three runs by the way in uh today's start but you know, I don't. <laughs> I get I get tweets every time he beasts on the road too. Like, ha, got him. I'm like, did you? Because I didn't say that he couldn't be great on the road. Um, he's been fantastic on the road. That's awesome. It's all about what he can do at home, and he's gone five innings both times at home, allowing 17 hits and seven runs. So sweet. And, you know, we'll see again. We'll see what he does today. And he's going to have good starts at home, too. Like, there's going to be some good starts. I don't think he's going to get pummeled every time. But my point was, guys don't really defeat course. And I haven't really seen him defeating course so far at any sort of sustained level. Nevertheless, throwing more sliders. Um, I think that's uh, a positive for Marquez. He does have two breakers that he can really rely on. And, and when you have the two breakers like that, you don't really need a changeup. And so that's why that really isn't a problem that he doesn't have the changeup. Uh, let's see. Derek Holland is throwing more sliders, and that's coming out of his curve and change. And Brad Keller leaning into his slider. He's a sinker slider guy for sure, but he is taking some of those sliders, putting them into the sinker. Although we're not really seeing anything too different. Uh, out of Brad Keller than what we saw last year, which 
you know, it's, it's still a little flimsy uh, in terms of having the solid ERA. This year it's at 341 up from 308. And then the whip's down a little bit from 130 to 124, but he's walking more guys. So it's 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 a 6% strikeout minus walk rate. In fact, his strikeout rate at 19% is completely, 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 completely fueled by a 10 strikeout outing against Cleveland. Like that is the driving force behind his strikeout rate. In fact, it's worth 35% of the strikeouts he's had already this year. He's gone 5-5-3-3-3 five, five, three, three, three in his other five starts. So I don't buy that at all. Um, you know, he's a ground ball guy. He can, he can strand runners, but a 228 BABIP isn't going to last. I'm selling the hell out of Brad Keller right now. Uh, you are you are playing with fire, good good folks, if you still have him and you're starting him with any confidence. Brad Keller, be very careful. Derek Holland was somebody that I, I got some questions about with my ranking on him, and it was just a miss, and I'm frustrated by it because I consider myself you know, a Holland believer. I really liked what he did down the stretch last year. I was using him in some leagues. Now, he is in the in the uh, spot start tier, so you know that's not like he would necessarily move way up from that. It's just that I, I, I wanted to highlight him a bit more. Let me see where I had him ranked. Let me pull that up very quickly because I think I've already made a change on my main page. So I have to go back to the uh... – yeah, he was 93. No, he was in the DSS, and that was the problem. He was in the deep league spot star tier at 93. He was someone, and I mentioned this earlier about how I can't deep dive everyone, just didn't get to him. That's just on me, my, my failing there on, on not getting Derek Holland up to where he belongs. I've got him now at 70-something. Hang on. Finding him again. I've got him at 70 on the button right now and so you know he's going he's going to stay there maybe even trickle up a little bit more i keep saying trickle i mean i said tricked uh earlier and i keep wanting to say that i don't know why i, I don't know why that's become my my crutch phrase of this episode at any rate uh i've got holland at 70 i like what he's doing he's solid he's got a great home park to lean on you should be using him in a lot of leagues and and just kind of uh you know getting quality quality work out of out of him he's not going to change your your uh rotation like crazy and be like holy crap Derek holland's really sustaining me but the 433 era is obviously pretty high but a 122 whip and 31 percent strikeout rate um i think he's got one or two starts that are really kind of pushing things up uh, as far as like his home run rate uh, actually the home run rate has been pretty consistent but he has six in his five starts that's a 2.0 homer nine. Like that's not even crazy though. It's just that that's how noisy things can be right now. Is that we can still have a situation where it's not like he's getting absolutely trounced, but six homers in 27 innings, that's a lot. But then all of a sudden you go one outing where you only allow uh, or you don't allow a single homer in seven innings, and you're down to one five. And so, you know, that's still going to move quite a bit. I don't think he's going to continue to allow homers at a 2.0 clip for Derek Holland, a 21% homer to fly ball rate. I do like the strikeouts. I love him at home. Automatic start there and then kind of uh, played by ear on the road with with Holland. Uh, Robbie Ray adding more sliders coming out of his curveball. Yeah, he kind of is what he is. I'm not really anything on that uh, all right this is going to be like a 10 hour pod if i keep going at this pace so cutters is a pretty quick one here there are only three guys that are up 10 10 percentage points or more and only two that are down 10 percentage points or more the three up are trevor richards tyson ross joey lucchese we already talked about lucchese 
uh, adding that new cutter and Trevor Richards. So, and sorry, Tyson Ross, I'm not sure that you merit uh, a real deep dive here right now. And then as far as those who are down on their cutter usage, we have Joe Musgrove and David Price, and we already talked about them. So that knocks out a pitch really quick. I will say this. I, I will actually give a, a little a little quick bit of love to Tyson Ross. He does have a 338 uh, ERA and a 125 whip. Isn't he on the IL right now, though? Or am I tripping on that? Let me see. Are you IL'd good, sir? No, that's Matt Moore. Pardon me. Pardon me. But yeah, he's... Eh. The, those those uh, ratios are good, but can you really believe in them when you're looking at a 17% strikeout rate, 9% walk rate, 8% swinging strike rate? The last three years has been 6, 9, and 8 for the swinging strike rate for Tyson Ross. He just doesn't miss bats anymore, and, and he is allowing too many homers. It should come back down a bit with a 21% homer to fly ball rate, but I don't buy that at all. So peace out on, on Tyson Ross for sure. Uh, let's move over to curveballs. We already talked about Marcus Stroman doing what he's doing with his curveball. He's up, what did I say, like 20%? Yeah, 21 points. Uh, Tyson or Ty- Tyler Molly is up 21 points. I believe that's a pretty new curve. Yeah, he threw it 1% uh, of the time last year, so he threw a couple. So it's up 20 points, I guess. But it's basically a new curve that he's brought in in lieu of his changeup. In fact, he's really, he's really changed things up. Let's talk about Tyson, or Tyler Molly. Sorry, I keep calling him Tyson because I'm on Tyson Ross's page. Tyler Molly of the Reds. Let's talk a bit about him. He's got a 25, uh, 26% strikeout rate, 4% walk rate. Those are fantastic. Don't really have the underlying support for the strikeouts though with just a 10% swinging strike rate and his chase rate's down too. So I'm like, hmm, how are you really doing this? His his first pitch strike rate is up a little, but there's nothing here that really supports that kind of strikeout surge. So I would call that flimsy and a nine strikeout outing when you only have four starts can really help that. In fact, he's got five, seven, three, and nine. So two really good and two pretty mediocre there. The eight strikeouts, the five and the three are in 12 innings combined. So that's that's bland as hell. That's not that's not worthwhile. But then the 16 in 11 innings. So do not buy into that strikeout rate right now out of Tyler Molly. But let's talk about what he's doing with his pitch mix. Okay, so he's eschewed his slider for a curveball. I, I would not think that this is a total... Um, a total classification thing because the velo is different. We're talking three miles different and there's been no sliders logged. So it would be kind of weird to, you know, to say that it's, it's just a classification thing. If there's literally no sliders uh, logged by the, by the systems here. Now let's see, let me, let me go to another system just to check. Yeah. They're not showing anything with sliders. Let me go down to pitch info. I think that no, I think we use pitch info. Let's go to pitch FX. Okay, so here we go. Pitch FX actually says it's still a slider, but Brooks and and pitch info say it's a curve. So I don't know. I actually I, I don't know now on uh, Tyler Molly wh- whether he has uh, switched breaking balls from the slider to the curve. But I do know that he has moved from a uh, straight change to a split finger. It's up four miles per hour 
Um, it's still an 11% pitch. It's not something that he uses crazily. But, you know, if it is a new curveball, there's at least some sort of shape difference. that there, there has to be for what has always been a slider for him to be classified as a curveball. So I definitely think that there's something different with the breaking ball on Tyler Molly. And then, of course, the changeup being being classified as more of a split change now is interesting, too. There's, there's something to keep an eye on. I remember being intrigued by him uh, after talking with Eno about him a few years back, and we kind of kept an eye out, and nothing really came of it, particularly last year when he had a 498 ERA and 159 whip. Things were really problematic. This year it's at 352, 126. I can buy those, uh, those ratios potentially being what he does, whether or not he can maintain anything close to the strike rate is, is my question mark on on Tyler Molly. Oh, hey, Char. My dog Charlotte here to check out the pod. What's going on? What are you doing? She's just trying to climb, climb into my lap here. Hi. You want to be on the show? Oh, you just hit the space bar. I'm putting her up to the mic. Breathe into the mic. Let them know you're here. Those were her nails. Really works to bring your dog onto an audio podcast. Really, really getting the full full deal here. Anyway, Char, did you have any thoughts on these pitch arsenal changes? No? Okay, cool. Anyway, sorry about that. A little interruption from the pup. Uh, so that's Tyler Molly. Uh, he may have some major changes or maybe just be a little bit of noise. Sticking with the curveballs, though, we also have Tyler Glass now bumping his up 15 percentage points um, from last year, and that's come out of his slider and fastball. He's only down five percentage points in the fastball, but this slide, or excuse me, yeah, in the fastball, down five but down 11 in the slider. So he's really kind of moved more to a curve from his slider. Let's take a look at Tyler Glass now. This is one, you know, I've had my concerns with Tyler Glass now, but I've also, I've always maintained too that if I do see some changes to believe in, I'm going to adjust with those changes. I have no reason to be hardlined here and just dig in my heels. It's not like I can, I never can see a path to success for Tyler Glass now. I've been concerned that uh, he, he can't maintain his mechanics because of the, the a lot of it due to the height uh, being difficult to keep your height in line and, and to repeat your mechanics often. We've seen it with a lot of tall pitchers. That doesn't mean that no tall pitchers have ever succeeded. However, when you name when the first name you go to when I say that is Randy Johnson, you do sound very stupid, just so you know. When you, when you name one of the very best pitchers ever as like, well, yeah, what about Randy Johnson? I, I, I don't take you seriously at that point. I say, wow, that was a very stupid take. You shouldn't have said that. You should say better things. But there are plenty of other tall guys who have found success. And so, again, I don't rule it out for Glass now. And I have been very intrigued by the fact that he has just a 5% walk rate so far backed by a 68% first pitch strike rate that he's getting. And he's in the zone more. So we have seen early on, just through five starts, a lot of changes that would foster control gains that are believable while still maintaining his ability to miss bats at a very electric clip, yielding a 26% strikeout rate. So I moved Glass now up. Again, I'm not going to hardline here. It makes no sense. It just makes no sense. I'm not going to do it. So we're seeing changes here. I buy it. Those of you that bought in on spec, congratulations so far because this is going very well for you. Now, for me, we've seen three, four, five starts of goodness before. What I'm really looking for on a next level situation is where are we a month from now when we're another five, six, seven starts deep? Is he still holding it? And then 
then you're going to see me move Tower Glass now. You know, it doesn't have to be at this clip, a 153.92 ERA whip combo. Obviously, I'm not holding him to that standard. But if the walk rate continues to be impressive for Tower Glass now and his first pitch strike and his zone rate and he's still getting chases and all that, even if as the ERA moves up, then you're going to see me putting him in like the top 20, top 25. Again, I'm, I'm going to be open to doing that. And so uh, I thought that the speculation was a little bit aggressive because I just wasn't really seeing it. I'm eager to see where we go from here. Um, you know, he did... He, even when he started well last year with Tampa Bay, when he got after the trade, it wasn't it wasn't like this because even after one walk in his first seven innings with them, he was at two, three, and three. So just just right away, then after his first two starts, he had a twelve percent walk rate in his next three. So this is a five percent walk rate over five starts. Small sample, but I'm intrigued by Glass now, and we are seeing more curves in the mix in lieu of a slider which he's more or less shelved and he's really going fastball curveball now if you aren't going to have a changeup or, or or third pitch to really work against uh opposite handers a curveball is the right pitch to have to kind of keep them off balance but it is a two-pitch pitcher right now so keep an eye on that but i love what i've seen out of glass now so far and he's made me look foolish but I'm, I'm here. I'm here for a new ace. I'm, I'm here for it if it if it sticks. So let's keep a close eye on it. Uh, let's see on the down curveballs. Um, actually, two others that are up. Uh, just to mention them real quick. Jake Odorizzi plus twelve percent. That's come out of both his slider and cutter. And Blake Snell, the ten percent drop in his fastball rate has gone right into the curve. And he was a little bit wobbly today coming back from that toe injury. I, I do have to wonder if the toe impacted him at all and, and KC got to him a little bit, but uh, not really too concerned about it. We'll just see if, if maybe he needs more time with the toe and maybe the five days will do it. Or is it something more? You know, is he going to require uh, a bit more than that? I don't know. But I do, uh, I do love what we've seen out of Blake Snell backing up his Cy Young from last year. All right. Uh, only one big drop. In, in curveball usage, and that's actually Trevor Bauer, who's down 14 clicks from what he did last year, and he's really spread it out, plus 5 on his fastball, plus 4 on his cutter, plus 8 on that changeup that he really talked about developing in the offseason that's really kind of set him off, too. He's, I mean, he's picking up right where last year left off, and speaking of Blake Snell, he'd have really been given a run for his money with that Cy Young had Trevor Bauer stayed healthy. And Bauer's damn near emulating everything he did last year with a 220 ERA, 0.98 whip combo after last year's 221, 109, um, 33% strikeout rate. So yeah, he's walking guys at a 10% clip. I don't even care. When when you're striking out like that and you're this unhittable, it, it does not matter. And so now he's got four secondary pitches that he can throw at least 12% of the time. That is devastating, including 15% on that changeup that he really honed. Last year was, you know, total show me, throw a couple here and there, 7%. That's, you know, that's like nothing. This year, it's a weapon. And uh, Trevor Bauer's been absolutely fantastic. Moving over to changeups um, and splitters. Yeah, we're going to wrap up here pretty quickly because there's not a whole lot to go off of. I didn't group them together because there are some splitters that aren't necessarily just split changes. But uh, speaking of change-ups, only one guy uh, up 10 percentage points. That's Kenta Maeda up 11, and that's really come out of uh, his entire arsenal, but predominantly his fastball, which is minus 6, and a handful of curves, minus 3%. Dylan Bundy is up 9, so he's right there on that threshold. 
Uh, that's kind of come out of his slider, though, which I don't necessarily love. As far as Maeda goes, he did get bopped around a little bit yesterday by the Cubs. Uh, a little bit maybe understates it, but he did. He, I like I like when you see stuff like this. He did give up the six runs, but he gave them up in the first two innings and then kind of held strong enough to pitch two more innings. Those two extra tack on innings can help. You know, they add up when you have guys good enough to either have the confidence from their manager or maybe they're just, you know, on their off days. They're not necessarily getting absolutely torched beyond belief. But they're struggling a bit and, and things aren't going their way. But they can still get those few extra innings, you know. It, it could have easily been a two-inning outing. And they just say, you know what, you've given up six Kenta Maeda in, in two innings. Deuces. But he got to go, gave up four. I'm, I'm not trying to make too much out of this. I'm just saying you really see it more with aces. Like when an ace gets pummeled, I, I remember this uh, when the Tigers had like a billion aces. Ah, those were the days. Uh, but now they do again with Matt Boyd and Spencer. No, I'm kidding. But like, you know, with Scherzer and, and Verlander, Verlander especially, you know, he'd have his bad days and he'd give up four in the first. And you're like, well, this is going to be a quick day. And then he still ends up going seven. And maybe he gives up another run or two, but it's like that seven inning, six runs, uh, five or six runs. It's like the, the, the good guys can have that brutal inning, but still maintain and go the six, seven innings uh, more often than not. And you love to see that. But anyway, Kent Maeda. Getting away from his fastball a bit, uh, slider, curve, and change. Um, like I said, the change is what's really jumped up this year, plus 11 points. And it's been mostly successful outside of yesterday's outing. That boosted his ERA up all the way to 520, though. In fact, he has two really bad outings pushing his ERA up that high. If you look, it's 3, 1, 5, 1, and 6. But we're still in the noisy zone. So Kenta Maeda's 11 runs and 9 and a third during those two starts at St. Louis and at, at the Cubs has really impacted his bottom line. I would absolutely buy in on, on Maeda if someone was selling, uh, let alone in a shallower league if they were cutting. Um, he's always going to have his innings mitigated a bit, and maybe he's going to get a phantom IL or, or a necessary IL. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's what caused his bad start yesterday. But I'm buying on Kenta Maeda here. Couple guys that are down are Jose Urena and Tyler Molly. I mentioned Molly earlier with Urena. I don't really think he's worth getting into. And then as far as splitters go, I mentioned Molly's up being being up more than ten percentage points. And there are two other guys that maybe matter a little bit more. I mentioned Homer Bailey's is up plus ten as well. Kevin Gossman plus eleven. Now. I think it was with Justin. By the way, I don't know if you can hear the rain, but it is straight pouring here. Um, I mentioned it either with Nick or with Justin, but on a recent episode about how Gosman really finding getting the feel for the splitter earlier than ever this year. We've seen it in so many years where he gets off to that bad start and then has to rally in the second half to wind up with a decent season, but then ends up trick you know feels like it tricks us because then we buy in for the next year and we repeat the whole process all over again but he's rocking a nice little you know the 396 era is not going to knock your socks off but a one whip and 29 percent strikeout rate through his first four starts is fantastic he's still been a little bit too homer prone at 1.4 that's kind of the deal with splitter guys though because even when you have the feel for it you're it doesn't mean every single one is going to be perfect so you're going to miss some and those are going to be homers 
so dang often. But I like what we're seeing out of Gosman. Uh, a 33% splitter usage, easily a career high. Tells me that he's got the feel from it for it right off the top this year. And uh, it's serving him well for the most part here. I think his is also, uh, the ERA is also inflated by one particularly bad start, and that would be five earned at Cincy and five and a third. Also a four earned in five and two thirds against the Mets. So it's really been two excellent starts, one mediocre, and then one I would just, I would say that the recent one at Cincinnati just yesterday was, was bad. You know, six runs, five of them earned, eight hits, two homers, and to go back to my point about the homers and how volatile that can be, you're looking at two homers in 19 and two thirds um, is a .91 homer per nine. You add those two homers uh, in the five and in the third that he threw yesterday for Kevin Gosman, and all of a sudden he's at one four. So that's how quickly it can change still right now. And so I don't want to go too crazy on anything like that. I do like that he is amplifying that splitter usage because it does in fact tell me that he has the feel for it kevin gossman last one is masahiro tanaka no one's down more than 10 points on their splitter usage but masahiro tanaka is down eight and he's far and away the the biggest change nobody else is even down uh two points so he's just using it a little bit less you know tanaka's kind of the forgotten guy at this point he just kind of sits there in in the in the second tier uh of rankings usually in your like 25 to 35 range and just kind of grinds it out and keeps doing what he's doing and maybe getting away from the splitter a little bit more in favor of the slider or even some of the show-me pitches that he has. Like, he, he can kind of throw the kitchen sink at you. But at his core, it's fastball, splitter, slider. But the sli- splitter's down to a career-low 22%. If that holds, I wonder if that'll help maintain this .92 homer per nine that we're seeing, which would also be a career best. Maybe get a few of those homers down, and then his ERA is more low to mid threes as opposed to mid to high threes you know 375 474 that was an outlier bad season 307 351 277 it's kind of bounced around but if we can be more of like a 330 a 330 120 season with strikeouts for tanaka that'd be really nice i I like him he's definitely someone i've been a fan of now for a whole minute and uh, i'm not against seeing this the split finger change a little bit and actually uh maybe foster some of that home run improvement So there you have it, guys. There's the Arsenal changes early on. Hopefully there was some usefulness here in terms of seeing what some guys are doing differently and uh, and giving you something to keep an eye on as we go forward. Uh, Let me know what you think, and uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow with Justin. Peace.